Uh, welcome back, everybody. Uh, it's great to have you guys here for day three of the Trailline Conference. And to kick things off, we have my good friend, John Boyk, a market historian, author of several fantastic trading books, um, and uh, yeah, the market historian. So, uh, John, it's always a pleasure talking with you. So thanks so much for taking the time, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this. Thanks, Richard. Good morning to everybody, and thanks for having me back again. Yeah, and uh, thanks for fighting through a little bit of a head cold here. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, and to kick things off, I think it'd just be great to, you know, open things with kind of a more general question. Uh, why is it so important to study history uh, and do historical analysis uh, in addition to technical analysis, fundamental analysis, um, trade psychology analysis? Uh, what's the benefit and, and, and why is it so important? Yeah, just uh, before we get to that, just a couple things. Yes, um, I apologize up front, um, been under the weather for a week and a half or so, and but I'm gonna soldier my way through this and we're gonna have a great conference. And the other thing I wanna say is once again, I want to um, mention that, you know, prayers and thoughts to the O'Neill family for the recent loss, um, such a huge uh, impact on so many people and for those who work with him and for him. Um, you know, it's our job now to carry that torch forward and, you know, it's gonna take an army for us to do it and we need to do it. and. You know, I'm going to do my little piece and uh, we all need to go for that. And we're sorry for that great loss. There's such a huge impact on so many people. So, and I called him the chairman of research. I don't think anybody has done more historical research than he did. <laughs> Just incredible detail and dedicated his life to that. So with that, we'll roll into your question. Um, why is historical research so important? Um, he was living proof of that, of how it helped him to become who, who he, he was. And I also want to say this, too. There's, there's several of us out there that have written about great traders and their lives and have brought that to the public. Uh, Michael Covell is one of them. He's done his uh, trend-following books, which are great, uh, excellent. Highly recommend those for everybody to get those. Um, he, he, he did the background on a lot of great traders. And then you have Jack Schwager, of course, who did the Market Wizards interview books, um, which again, are introduced us to a lot of these great traders today in the past when he wrote those books. So, and then what I tried to do was even go back further all the way to the beginning to see who the pioneers really were that paved the road for everybody else. And so I went back to the legends that really started this and everybody kind of picked up and carried their torches forward and they paved the road for a lot of other people. So I start back from 1888 with Richard Wyckoff and there's Jesse Livermore after him, who's mentioned many times in Covell's books on trend following and Bernard Baruch, and then Gerald Loeb after those guys, and then Jack Dreyfus and Nicholas Darvis and William O'Neill, of course. And then we have some very uh, top modern day legendary traders like David Ryan and Mark Minervini and Jim Ropel and those guys who also learn from those. So the point of it is all of those traders back from the beginning who paid the road, they all learned from the traders before them. So if you want to back it up, um, 
David Ryan and Ropel and all that, heavily influenced by O'Neill. O'Neill was heavily influenced by Gerald Loeb and Jesse Livermore and Jack Dreyfus. And before him, you had Nicholas Darvis, who was heavily influenced by Gerald Loeb. And then before that, you had Loeb, who was heavily influenced by Bernard Baruch. And then Baruch and Livermore knew each other. And then Wyckoff learned from Livermore as well. He interviewed him several times. So you see this string of analysis and learning from the great traders from the very beginning all the way through. And that's what they did was they learned from each other and they passed it along. And all the strategies that they came up with and the strengths and the failures and everything else were all similar to each other. So if you're gonna learn, if you wanna do this, you have to learn from the best, just like any profession or vocation out there, the best people learn from the ones before them that were greatly successful. So I'm a big sports guy and I'm a big music guy. And if you look at sports, I'm a big hockey guy, baseball guy. So like, just as an, as an analogy. So in the NHL today, there's a bunch of young studs, 20, 22 years old. And you hear these interviews. How did you learn how to be so great so young? Well, I studied or watched films of Wayne Gretzky. Um, I learned from the best. Then you talk to Wayne Gretzky, hear his interviews. Who'd you learn from to become the greatest ever? Well, I learned from Gordy Howe. So all this, it's the same. It doesn't matter what it is. You learn from the best. So that's what these traders did. And if they didn't do that, they wouldn't have either their learning curves would have been a lot longer wouldn't have found the same type of strategies that paved the road to success. And they're still the same today as they were in 1890. That's the point of the whole thing. And so why is it important to study those? Because that's where you learn from the best, just like all other vocations do that. And it's not just the traders that you study for history, it's the market cycles and the best stocks of the best cycles that help you in the present day. So I, I've said this before, This, in all the study I've done of these legendary traders, most traders who come into the market, they start with fundamental analysis, okay, which is critically important. And then they go into, they roll into technical analysis, which again is critically important. And there's some fundamentalists only, and there's some technics, technicians only. And then after that, it, you know, Mark Douglas laid this out in his book, Trading in the Zone, which is a phenomenal read, the best book on market psychology, in my opinion. And he laid that out. He said, most traders come in fundamental, then they do the technical analysis, and then they look inside and they do the mental and psychological analysis. So those three are all critical. And most traders, over time, turn around and become successful after they've mastered all of those. What I discovered in all the study that I've done, this going over 20 years now to these legends, is they did all that, but the best of the best, the elite, added another piece to it. And I think that's what separated them from the good traders to become the great traders. And that was historical analysis. They studied the great traders before them, but they also studied 
the market cycles before them because a lot of them repeat. And I'm going to give you a lot of examples in just a few minutes about that. And then they studied the greatest stocks that led the prior uptrends, and they all looked similar. They had similar fundamental characteristics. They had similar technical characteristics. And, you know, William O'Neill's study was really all about that, is study past big winners and you'll buy future ones. That was his whole um, theory there. So, excuse me, I want to just take a word. Yeah, of course. But, so O'Neill was the master at that. And how did he prove that? He studied all the great trade, the, the great stocks, all the way back from the early 1900s, even the 1880s. And he put the model books together and the patterns repeated themselves. And he would take out precedents from prior periods when, the, when he was in a current period. And I don't think there's anybody that has nailed more TMLs, true market leaders in every single decade, in every single uptrend than him. How did he do that? He added uh, historical analysis to his toolkit. So, and he wasn't the only one. Darvis did the same thing. And so did Gerald Loeb, and so did Baruch, and so did Livermore. They all, in their publicized books, they all mentioned, when I was in this market era, it looked like it was topping, just like this one 15 years ago or 20 years ago when I nailed it on that one. They all did that. Wyckoff did that all the time. So it's important, I think, that to if you really want to step it up past the level of maybe how to say this, like everybody else, and you want to be that elite trader, I think that's that's what separated them. That's the key piece that I discovered that said, huh, they all did that. They added this other piece. You don't hear a lot about that. And like Jim Ropel does that all the time. He's got in his office, he had a when I interviewed him for the, the book I wrote and put him in, he had a hundred year um, chart on the wall and he looks at it all the time. What does this look like? He mentions this on his podcast. This looks like this. Like right now he's talking about, hey, we might be, this uptrend might be gaining some strength here. It looks like prior ones. So <clears throat> it's just, I think, I think you're at a disadvantage if you don't understand some of the historical analysis side of it and add it to the fundamentals, the technicals, and the psychological side. It just adds another piece. And it's just, I don't think it's a coincidence that the best traders of all time that I studied all the way back, those legends, they all did that. They mm -hmm. added that. They did it numerous times. So I think that's um, a critical piece. And I think if you want to up your game, it helps to do that. And we're gonna talk about that in the current market too and how it looks like in the past as we get to that, you know, as we get to that segment. Yeah, that's actually kind of my next question. Uh, you know, given what you studied um, going back in history, what does kind of the current time period remind you of? And what what's kind of, you know, taking a step back, what's kind of the template for a market bottom? And what, what does that kind of look like as well in terms of indicators, what stocks are doing, and also how the, the greatest traders handled it? Well, 
before I answer that, I want to do this real quick. I want to go through, I'm going to give you a little bit of history here. We're going to go through, I'm going to mention some market downtrends because there's the good news is at the end of these. So in 1903, you had a severe bear market. 1907, you had that. 1917, you had that. In 1926, you had a sharp correction. 1929, 30, 31, and in 30 bear market in history. 1937, you had a bear market. Uh, 1942, and so on. 1957, there was one. 1962, 1966, 1969, the 73, 74 bear market. You had one in 79. You had one in 81 and 82. You had the crash in 87. You had one in 1990, 94, 90, 94 to 95. I want to talk about that in a minute because that relates to your question a little bit. Um, 1998, you had a big correction. Then you had the 2000, 2001 and 2002 bear market. You had the 2008 bear market. You had in 2018, you had the Q4 sharp downtrend that lasted only three months. There were so many like that in the past. The one in 1990 looked just like that one. The one in 1942 looked just like that one too. So these references back, this is what these, <laughs> great traders did. They remembered those times and looked at that. So, and then we had the 2020 COVID bear market, and then you had the 2022 bear market. So there's a bunch of, of bear market corrections going back a hundred years or more, 120 years, all of those. And a lot of them looked similar. And a lot of them happened or occurred because of what was going on uh, whether it was a war issue or if it was high interest rates and high inflation. A lot of those were due to high interest rates, high inflation, lower or negative GDP. And once that got out of the way, then you had the uptrend. So there's the bad news. There was a bunch of corrections and bear marks, but they occur. They happen. And what did the traders do? The greatest traders, they saw those coming. There's signals all the time. Here's another uh, cool history thing. So in 19, 1917, you had this huge bear market and Livermore makes a killing on the short side of that market. And it was severe. But by 1919, in two years, that market recovered that entire drop of, two, of 1917. 70 years later, 1987, you had that sharp, you had the bear, uh, bear market crash in October. But that, <laughs> that correction started in early August. And O'Neill saw that and was 100% in cash two months before that crash hit. But by 1989, that market recovered that entire 1987 crash. The exact same thing that happened in 1917 and 1919 happened in 1987 and 1989. Doesn't mean you're going to see these, but these patterns, these cycles repeat. Stan Weinstein. Great. I mean, the stages, one, two, three, four, they repeat themselves over and over again. So, but the good news is, here's the great news, right? All those downtrends, those corrections, those bear markets, they all lead to the next strong uptrend. So from 1900 through today, we've had about 35 or 36 major uptrends. And I call a major uptrend an uptrend of about minimum 30% or more in four months or longer 
on the indexes. 35, so that means about 30, and when I was writing monster stocks, I put this in the beginning of that. I did the study, it said about 33% of the time, the market is in a major uptrend. So those are great, those are the windows of opportunity to take advantage of. And the average major uptrend was 14 months in length, and it went up about 74%. And we just saw in 2020 that that um, uptrend from April 2020 up through February, that was up about the same length of time, okay? I mean, uh, the same percentage amount, up 70% or so. So the good news is through these bear markets and these corrections, you get these massive uptrends as they build out. The question is, how long does it take? And what are the signals back to your question? Well, the best, let me back up again. Richard, you gotta, I know you gotta reel me in because I keep going all over the place, but I think this is important. The best traders in over time in the past, they avoided those big bear markets. Livermore and Baruch and Wyckoff did some shorting and they, you know, Livermore, killed it on the shorts in three bear markets, 03, 1903, 1907, and 1929, and 1917, as a matter of fact. But the other, the other traders after him, after them guys, after those guys, didn't really short very much. Loeb never shorted stocks. Dreyfus never shorted stocks. Jarvis never shorted stocks. O'Neill did it a little bit in 1962 when he was first coming out. And you know why he did it in 62? He just finished reading Reminiscences of a Stock Operator. And in that book, Livermore, fictionized Livermore, talked about the 1907 top and how it looked very similar to what O'Neill was studying was at in the current time in 62. So what does O'Neill do? <laughs> he turns around for the first time in his career and he shorts three stocks. He shorts Certainty, Alcide, and um, Corvette. And he makes a killing of it. But after that, he really didn't short much because he made so much progress and opportunity on the long side, which those uptrends are stronger in, in duration and they're stronger in percentage moves. But the bear markets and the corrections can be brutal if you're, if you're in them. So those traders use those topping signals in the past to get out of those markets and protect themselves when they needed to do it. And can I jump in with a question, John? Yeah. So what are those topping signals? Just a quick review for, for people who are curious. What, are, what were these great traders looking for that gave them fair warning? Or, you know, they're not going to catch the top, but they're going to get out and protect their capital during the declines. Well, let's talk about then um, the current, the, the last three years. Use mm -hmm. as, those as an example if you're already tired of history. But so 2020, you know, February comes around, COVID comes around. And in March, you had the most severe, the shortest, longest break in market history, pretty much. Down all the way, there was in March, this huge, sharp spike down. Everybody thought the world was going to end. We're all going to die of COVID. And it turns out it wasn't the case. And the market comes back up in April. So I want to talk about this, too. This is critical. I'm a big proponent of this on Twitter, the new high, new low list. Um, it's not something I made up. This has been tracked by some of the greatest traders all the way back to the 1940s. Gilbert Haller wrote a book in 1965, and he shows 20 years of the new highs and new lows and matching up to 
the Dow index. Sometimes it leads, sometimes it tells you it's excessive. It's a gauge, it's, that's all it is. It's a gauge to tell you how strong or weak either an uptrend is or a downtrend is. And a lot of top traders today use it. We see them on uh, Twitter, Matt Caruso uses it a lot. Jim Ropel uses it a lot. O'Neill looked at it. Gerald Loeb used it all the time. Stan Weinstein talks about it. Uh, Alexander Elder wrote a whole ebook on it. So that can give you some clues. And I'm going to get to those in a second. So in 2020, March, every single day, new lows exceeded new highs by thousands, by, and sometimes over 3,000. That is telling you everybody's selling. Um, Leading stocks at that time were topping and, and breaking. Is it breaking support? Is it breaking key moving average levels that it's rode up the whole time up, the 21-day, the 50-day, and even worse? She should be out way before it cracks the 200-day. But to answer your question, there's several answers to that. So are the moving averages on the indexes stacked properly? 200 down here, 50 here, 21, 10. In 2022, it was flipped all the way over the other way. And then in 2020, after March, you started to see all that selling was subsiding. And by the first week of April, you now had new highs exceeding new lows for the first time in six weeks. And it continued to build on that. And the market started to come up. And IBD is pretty good at this, call in market uh, direction uptrend or under pressure or in a downtrend. And they went in the first, second week of April, confirmed we, we're seeing some strength here. Stocks were setting up that were, some of them were damaged really hard. Some of them that resisted the decline are probably gonna be the next leaders. That's exactly what happened in April. So you had with COVID, you had Zoom and DocuSign and Peloton and Etsy all built these bases during that decline. It's happened all the way back in 1903 as well. And so these bases are formed and then you can see the buying power start to come in and overtake selling pressure. And the new highs, new lows will tell you that more stocks are now coming up and out and making new highs, 52 week highs. So that, that upturn, it was, you know, I was watching that and I was like, this is interesting. Everybody's talking doom and gloom that everything's gonna go to hell, but the market came up and took a different direction. From early May to the end of September, there were 78 trading days in a row where new highs exceeded new lows. 78 trading days in a row. That's rare to happen. And the numbers kept getting stronger on themselves. More stocks were breaking out. You had Livongo, then you had, you had all the uh, Cloudflare and you know, all these other stocks are just taken off. And that was a window of opportunity that's telling you the market direction has changed from that brutal bear market in March. Okay. A lot of top traders who follow that jumped on these new leaders. And a lot of traders had triple digit years. I mean, I had one. And let me tell you this. If I can have one, anybody can do it. So trust me. And, but it, it happened in a short window of time. By the time November hit, Zoom and DocuSign were already topping. So how do you tell that? Well, the trend line has stopped moving up. 
volume has stopped coming in on the updates, or it runs into a climax run where volume just takes off to the highest levels and it zooms high to the highest peak of, of, it, of all time. Jim Ropel's a master at selling into a climax run. William O'Neill was a master at that. And then it starts to break down. So it's breaking some key moving averages on big volume. That's telling you traders like O'Neill and Ropel, and there's a bunch of them out there, they're all selling. They're selling into strength at the top when they see some, some turn in the trend. And that's what they did. And it's Bernard Baruch used to do that in 1920 and 26 and 27. 26, 27, 28, 29, the market is ripping just like it did at the end of the 90s. And Ropel is in there and selling all his stocks in the climax runs in March 2000, right before the bear market. That was the beginning of the bear market. And it comes down and, and gets out. So you have this. I, I'm all over the place again, but I'm trying to answer the question with as many examples as I can give you. But that 2020 uptrend, when you get into 2021, now in the spring of 2021, the market starts to change a little. You had this huge run. In Monster Stock Lessons, I, had, I showed 29 stocks in 2020, just from April through December, 29 that were that rose over 100% just in that time frame, And I put a limit on that. Those were only stocks that traded over a million shares a day. There were many more that traded less than that. So if you focus on that, and what these great traders did was concentrate on just a few handfuls of the major leaders, you could have had a great year. And we saw it, a lot of people did. You know, the, what Oliver Kell that year, what 941%, unbelievable. And he concentrated that mostly in Tesla a lot, but he had other leaders and he jumped on when they, a window of opportunity gave him that opportunity. And that's what these guys do. That's what the best traders do. So then in the spring, you start getting this sector rotation rolling in. It's different. It's a different look than that strong uptrend. You can see this breakout started to come up they wouldn't last as long as they did in April, May, June, and July of 2020. That's giving you a signal. Guess who jumped on that signal? Mark Minervini saw that and shortened up his time frame so much, he'd buy a breakout and then he'd sell it into strength very soon after because they wouldn't, they wouldn't follow up on that. And he kept churning his account over and over with turnover and he was up 331% in a choppy uptrend in 2021. Then in November of 2021, the second week of November, new lows start to overtake new highs consistently, day after day after day. And then IBD at the end of November calls it a correction. And that was the beginning of the bear market for 2022. And for 2022, you had this downsloping classic bear market with bear market rallies coming up. Now you've got, you're flipping the moving average lines upside down on the indexes. You have new highs and new lows um, going upside down. Just to give you another stat, in 2020, 80% of the days, and this includes the month of March, which was every day 
a negative new high, new low day. Every the, for the whole month for the whole year of 2020, 80 percent of the days new highs exceeded new lows. In 2022, 78 or 79 percent of the days new lows exceeded new highs. You had the complete opposite reversal of 2020. But then in 2022, on October 13th. New lows exceeded new highs 1,201, by 1,201. And the market took a deep dive and then closed at the very top on huge volume. That right now is the bottom of the market. That's the bottom of the bear market. It hasn't come back to touch that. In the past, if you go back to 03, 02, which bottom, the market bottom in October of 02, and then you had this, sloppy, choppy, you had a severe two-year bear market, three-year bear market, really. You had the sloppy, choppy action along the bottom, but there was accumulation coming into the market in February of 03. And O'Neill saw that. He actually bought eBay in October at the bottom, took pilot positions in it. And then in March of 03, when the market really started to take off in 2003, he piles in an eBay with almost his whole position, and he makes a killing on it. So that same market, this one is looking like um, it's chop. It's been chopping along, and now recently it's been coming up. Now you have the moving average line stacked properly, as far as a healthy market. You have the 200 down here, the 50, the 21, and the 10-day, and they're playing with each other. The 21 and the 10 up here because you still have this, there's still an overhang here. You still have the Fed issue and you still have inflation. And once you get some more clarity on that, which we're getting a little bit more of, but the market always looks ahead and discounts all that. So right now, so in the last three years, if you go back to history, you've seen just about everything. You saw a short bear market, but very severe in 2020. Then you had this great opportunity, which rewarded many top traders with triple digit triple digit year in 2020. Then you had a choppy uptrend as is as it's kind of tiring itself out. And then in November of 21, you get this the peak and 2022 you get this classic bear market. Bear market rallies come up, they bump their head on the 200 day or the 50 day line and get rejected. There's a clue for you that it's not over yet. And there just wasn't there weren't many stocks making great progress. There's always gonna be something, but you had new lows exceeding new highs by pretty healthy numbers. And now you've turned this around a little bit in 2023 and you're not retesting those 2022 lows. I just put on Twitter yesterday after the market closed, we have six days in a row now where new highs exceed new lows. And the, for the for last week, the week that just ended, it was the third biggest weekly new high, new low net rating in 61 weeks, all the way back to that November 21 top. So, and there seems to be more broadening out. There seems to be more stocks setting up and running up. And um, if you go back to prior strong uptrends, after bear markets, there's always seems to be a catalyst of what's the next big thing. 
in the 20s and all that, it was automobiles in the 50s after those bear markets. It was consumer-oriented stocks in the 80s. It was something else in the 90s. In the mid-90s, it was computers, compact, and all that kind of stuff. And then in 2000, in 1999, in the late 90s, it was the internet taking off. And so to get a strong uptrend, you need a new catalyst. Maybe this is it. Maybe AI is it. It seems like there's a lot of excitement out there about that. There's a lot of AI stocks that look like they're starting to leave. But you still have this overhang of the Fed. And hopefully this will be the end of that. If that gets more clarity and kind of settles down, this could be it. I mean, but here's the thing. It doesn't matter what somebody's opinion is going to be. I think it's going to happen at the end of the, it doesn't matter. Nobody knows. Nobody knows for sure. All you got to do is watch and be on the lookout. Just like if you watched back in April of 2020, sitting there and I'm going, this looks interesting because everybody's telling us the world's going to end, but these stocks are telling you something different and money's coming in. And you had the strong run. So you got to be, um, you just watch those things and watch the moving averages of the index. You can feel it too. It just feels a little different now. We haven't seen this since November 21, if you ask me. I mean, it's like, wow, there's some stuff looking, you know, put some exposure on. There's some things looking good. There's some new names, which typically happen in new uptrends. So if this thing gains some speed, There'll be some other new names coming out, but there's a few already that are just ripped. Look at Super Microcomputer, unbelievable. Um, so there's one, Celsius is another one. So there's, you need that too on top of that. And then when you put all the pieces together and there's not really that many, moving averages are coming up, new highs are exceeding new lows, new stocks are breaking out. They've got a future ahead here with this new big thing that could come up. And that's it. Then you start, then you put in your risk management and your trade management strategies. And those are the keys. You have to be disciplined. You have to be patient. And if you waited for these opportunities, then you're going to have, you're going to take advantage of them. And a lot of people probably got chopped up in 2022. Maybe they traded too much. I mean, I got in some of those bear market rallies and, and oh, you know, what are you doing here? This is it's slapping them back down in classic form. So, and every single bear market or correction from the past did the exact same thing. So I think that's where, again, the historical analysis comes into play. And the more you understand that and see that, hey, this happened before. It's not exact, it's never gonna be exact, but it's similar. And just like the, the stock patterns are similar over time, Jesse Livermore looked at stocks breaking out to over points of resistance, pivot points, he called them. So pivot points over resistance areas for Livermore. Nicholas Darvis created this box theory. He said, these stocks just bounce around in these little boxes. And then when it breaks out on high volume, I'm jumping in on that. Jack Dreyfus used to, Jack Dreyfus did his charts by hand. When he was 21 and he got started in the market, he worked for a chartist. This is in the 1930s. And he said, Jack, I want you to chart these, these price points and volume by hand on these charts. When Dreyfus was in his early 90s, he was, this is 2004 or five. 
He's still doing charts by hand. He hired somebody to do his charts by hand, even with all the technology out there. What was he doing? He's looking for certain price patterns that would take off and move breakouts on high volume after a certain period of time, typically that would be created in a downtrend or a bear market. So he was doing the same thing. Then you have William O'Neill creating names for these patterns that he studied. Cup with handle, double bottom, three weeks tight, saucer, whatever it is. Um, and you look at all these patterns that they looked at and they saw, these patterns keep repeating. They're repeating now again. So all that stuff, if you understand the past, I think you can help yourself in the current time and the future time. That's what the best traders do. That's what the legends did. And if they did it, I want to do it or, you know, get in and do what they did. I want to follow them. I'm not creating anything new. I'm just following the path that they, they laid out for me. Yeah, perfect. And there's there's some good questions coming in the chat, so keep them coming, everybody. Um, first, from Sunil, uh, what sectors and industries typically lead a start of a new bull market, or does it kind of change a little bit over time? It changes all the time. I mean, if you go back and study some of those great uptrends that followed those bear markets and corrections I talked about, it changes all the time because the landscape changes. In the, in the 1890s and the 1900s, it was railroads because that was what was being built. Bernard Baruch did incredibly well with railroad stocks in 1900, 1910. Um, you had the auto stocks in the early 1900s. Chrysler led so many uptrends. It, they kind of reminded me of, you know, and repeatable, repeatable leaders can come back. Apple's done it so many times. Why? Because they reinvented themselves. They had the, the computer and they had the iPhone and all these things. And every time they introduced something new that was adopted by the public or masses of people, they were a leader. So it just, it depends. Um, there's so many different, in the 50s, after the 57 bear market, actually even before that, in the early 50s, coming off the 40s, the late 40s, the war ends, and you have all these consumer stocks for the first time that started to broaden out the stock leadership from the industrial era. So instead of just railroads and autos and steel and all those other things, steel is a great one. Steel was in the not early 1900s, US Steel was just a massive leader. They're like NVIDIA today, okay? always there, always needed, always refining, doing what they were doing. And Livermore did it into U.S. Steel, Baruch did it, Wyckoff, those were, and even Gerald Lowe. That was one of their major monster stock winners over and over again, because it kept repeating itself. NVIDIA today has done it. It's doing it now. Okay, if they're in the, if they're the go-to for AI, look at what's happening already with them. So, it depends what's coming out and what's the economic landscape, what's the creative companies that are changing things and preparing us for the future. You've had medical stocks in the past many times than a leader. O'Neill landed Amgen in 1990, 1991. Mike Webster to this day keeps telling everybody he's a 
that's the greatest stock transaction I've ever seen anybody make is O'Neill's transaction in Amgen. What did he do? Bought it off a breakout, coming off a bear market, actually a little bit before that because it was leading at the time. And he pyramids this stock all the way up. He sells some in his strength, it pulls back to a support area, takes off, he buys back more. Constantly in and out, but not the whole position. He's, these are core positions that he holds. And then he runs that stock up. He made 550% on that stock. And then he sells the whole thing at one point. So it just depends. I mean, that's a long answer to that question. Yeah, it, it seems it's, like the common not, theme is the prevailing technical, technological revolution, right? That's good. That's going on at the time, right? That, that's true. But you can have repeated leaders. Right. But a lot of times you're going to have new names that come into the fold that ride the tail of the, the, the leader. Right. You want to study what stock was the leader, go back and look at O'Neill's biggest winners in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000, 2000. I've never seen anybody, well, some of those other guys did it too, but O'Neill did it better than anybody. He had the major leader at the time, whatever it was. He didn't care what it was. Are they making money? Are they introducing products and services that everybody's going to adopt to? And that's the one I want to be in. I want to be in it and I want to have a high concentration in it, not just a portion of me. I'm going to go all in. Stanley Drunkenmill, I want to add this. He's been doing some more um, public interviews recently, which are awesome to, to look at and to listen to. He brings up history time. I saw just a month or so ago, he was doing an interview. He goes, yeah, I'm looking at history again. And you know, how does this era look to this era? And, and so on and so forth. And one of his greatest quotes is, um, when you have conviction, go for the jugular. <laughs> so, and I know he's in NVIDIA, he's, he's talking about it. He's like, huh, this AI thing, this could be the next big, big thing. And he can move markets. I mean, he's one of the best ever. So if you study these tr great traders, that's what they did. And it's not just recently, it's all the way back to 1900. That's what it's about. And can I jump in with uh, another question? Yeah. So uh, you mentioned earlier that this time period kind of reminds you of, of 94. Can you kind of discuss the, the, the similarities as well as the differences <laughs> as well? Well, there's, in 1994, the Fed raised rates starting in February seven straight times. Okay, we haven't seen that till recently. Now we're at 10. So they broke their record. Congratulations. Seven straight times in 1994. And the market just couldn't get anywhere. It was a downtrend. It wasn't slowed. So, I mean, I've seen so many people say, well, the Fed's just raising rates up here. The market's just going to crash and that's it. It's over. Seven times in 1994, that was the most times at that time, the market was only down 15, maybe 20%, some, somewhere in there, the indexes were different. But at the end of 94, or the beginning of 95, the Fed paused and stopped, and the market started to move up. And it started to take off and took off on a pretty good run. Mark Minervini talked about this, he said, he didn't even get into the market in 95 till April. So if you miss some of this AI stuff, it's not too late, trust me. There's gonna be, if this, if this takes off and 
becomes what it could be, there's going to be plenty of opportunities. He didn't get into that market in 95 till April, and he had a 413% year at the end of the year. So, but 94 looked similar because you had the Fed, you had inflation concerns, you had the Fed aggressively raising rates faster than any time before that. And so that's a similarity there. But there's another similarity I see from 81 to 82. You had this long drawn out uh, bear market correction type thing. Again, it didn't implode. Like the Dow hasn't imploded at all. I mean, it's gone down, it's, it's doing you know sloppy trading, whatever. But in 81, 82, you had this same thing, this long drawn out choppiness, downtrend thing. And then in August of 82, the Fed stops raising, you know, that, that was an interest rate um, inflationary condition. O'Neill was famous in February 82, he put out a full page article in the Wall Street Journal saying inflation's back is broken and it's time to get ready for the next bull market. In August of 82, the market takes off and it goes up 101% in 11 months. So O'Neill was a little bit early, but he was setting that up, seeing what was happening. So that 81, 82 period has some similarities to what we have now. You had high, high inflation, you had the Fed trying to fight it, knocking, knocking it down with high interest rates, and you had the 94 period. So there's there's been others even before that. This is not by any stretch the only time in history where we've had inflation concerns and the Fed trying to knock it back down. So there's several of them in history that have done that. The good thing is once the clarity of that Fed and inflation issue is kind of put off to the side, the market has taken off either a little bit before or during or after, but there's a window of time there when that happens. And, you know, O'Neill <laughs> said this many times, bear markets are awesome. Why? Because they set up the next opportunities, okay? They, they create the bases, they create the stocks that are gonna lead the next uptrend, whatever it's gonna be. It's gonna be different. And this could be, you know, we could be looking at the beginning of one there. We don't know. Let's do this again in six months and I'll tell you how it looks. <laughs> yeah, perfect. And um, I think a question I really want to ask is, you know, putting yourself in the shoes of all the traders that you've studied, what would they kind of be doing now? What would they be watching? What would they be trading? And what would they be waiting for if they're not in yet uh, to, to signal that, you know, it's, it's time to press on the gas? I think all of them, because they were all similar in their styles, would be stepping in and Livermore used to call it a probing strategy and Darvis would call it a pilot buy. So if you see stocks and there's some movers that are already well extended. So if you're not in those yet, it's okay. They'll pull back if this continues on and you'll have another opportunity or opportunities to get in there. And then there's gonna be some new names that'll come out if you, um, you know, pay attention. So I think they would all be, I highly doubt they'd all be still in 100% cash. I think they'd be moving, they had been probably moving in with probing or um, pilot buys, testing the market. If they're working, then you either sit or you add to it. 
if they pull back and you want to you want to have your risk management strategy that's the number one rule everybody so wherever you got in if you don't sit on a loss um, you know you can let it play maybe bounce it off with some uh, moving average or watch for support resistance and you can get a feel for that so I know that they look at all these things and then new highs are starting to take over new lows. The, the new lows have shrunk to some very low numbers now per, on a daily basis. That means right now selling pressure has subsided. But that doesn't mean it's an all clear signal either. You could have the Fed on Wednesday. I mean, that could surprise everybody. They could jack up a half a point. Guess what? The market's going to probably crash or not crash, but correct pretty hard. I don't think that's gonna happen, but we don't know. So there's still some overhangs there. And I think that's why maybe some of them would be would be stepping in a little lighter than typical. That's just, if I go back and I think what they would do, that's probably, that's probably what they would do. Some of them may be more aggressive. Um, and some of the bigger names that have been moving already for a month or so, yeah, I think they. I think Druckenmiller's got some pretty big positions in some AI accounts. So he's a great one to use as an example. And I think he's he saw that and just like, I can't ignore this. This is moving. That's what those great traders would do. The market has been moving up. The Nasdaq's over twenty six percent already year to date, and it's not even half the year. So there has been some positive movement. It was just confined a very limited number, but now that seems to be broadening out. And if the market reacts okay to the Fed and the Fed does the right thing and inflation subsides a bit, you you could have this, this could be a, a pretty good strong uptrend. I, but I don't know, nobody knows. We're just, just, you don't have to know. One of my favorite quotes of all time is Mark Douglas from Trading in the Zone. He said, traders in the zone don't need to know and don't care what the market is going to do next. They know what they are going to do next, and that makes all the difference. You think about that. You don't have to know six months from now what the market's going to be doing, because you're not going to know anyway. You can take a guess, and you might be right. You might be wrong. But if you know what you're going to do next, which if you ask back to your question, I think these traders would be stepping in going, this is working or this looks like it's working. So I'm going to participate. But if it, if it doesn't, I'm going to go out and then I'll sit back and wait again. Or if it continues, I'm going to keep hitting it. So they know what they're going to do next based on what the market is doing, not what they think it's going to do, because nobody can predict what it's going to do. Does that answer the question? I mean. Yeah, I think it does. And to, to turn it on to stocks now, you know, looking at the past, analyzing all these monster stocks, true market leaders, model book stocks, uh, what do they look like coming out of a bear market similar to this? How do they act? What do they respect? And what are the signs that people can pick up on? And maybe some spots for people mm -hmm. to, you know, join the ride if, if they're not already on some of the leaders. Coming out of a bear market, the healthiest stocks, you don't want to see anything under the 200 day. Typically, that's a bottoming support level. I think you know, Paul Tudor Jones said that nothing good happens under the 200-day line. 
And you can see if they're basing and they, they've held up the best, like their RS rating, their relative strength rating during a bear market, they held up pretty good. And then when the market gets healthier and you watch them and they're coming up off of um, support areas and their, their moving averages are moving up in the right direction, they're stacked kind of on top of each other, how they should be. Those are the ones, I mean, look at Celsius. You know, that pulled back for a long, for a while. It was basing six months ago or more. And it pulled back and now it's, it's, it's a leader. It ripped on earnings. You know, they're making a, their, their fundamentals are great. And you're seeing some action come into that thing. So that's a leader. I'm super micro computer to me is that, that's your monster stock. It's already, it's a monster stock already. When it broke through a hundred, what, weeks ago, a month or so ago. Now it's at 260 already. I mean, they're supplying computers for AI stuff. So maybe that's, you know, that's got to be the reason. But <clears throat> stocks like that, if you look at the chart of SMCI, you could see how it got supported at its 50 and 21 day. And then every time it took off, there were a lot of shorts in that stock. There were a lot of negative uh, reports on that a couple months ago. And those all got blown out. So now you took the shorts out and you probably had a bunch of short covering there, but now you've got people investing in it instead of covering shorts, it looks like. So follow some of those leaders that are looking good right now. Um, and there's there's several of those. Look at Rambus, um, looks good. I mean, the, these stocks have been ripping and it, they held up well. So I think that's the answer there. Relative strength ratings say, relative to the general market, I held up better than you did. And those typically are the leaders of the next bull run. They always have been. It's kind of been that way. Yeah, fantastic. And, you know, given that many of these names are pretty extended right now from, from the bases that they broke out of, how do leaders from the past typically act at this point? And what, what should traders be waiting for to maybe, you know, build a position in a stock if they don't already have, have well, I mean, uh, a lot of them moved up very fast and, you know, I got caught watching too much myself. So um, you can have stock envy watching these things race by if you're not in them, but I would watch for, um, tight digestion areas or pullbacks on kind of subdued volume. And then how do they react at certain um, moving average lines? A lot of people, a lot of traders use moving averages. They kind of, you know, they'll scare you out and then they'll shake you out and then they'll come back up and hit those lines and then take off again. So I'd have them on my watch list and I'd be looking for, um, pullbacks or digestion areas. And then if the market starts to take off again and these lead again, you can get in on some of those. Perfect. Well, John, this has been really great. And uh, one thing I'm really looking forward to is behind the scenes, we've been working on a project together. Um, and I'll go ahead and share my screen here. Uh, we'll be doing kind of a full masterclass, diving deep into the uptrends, downtrends, uh, top stocks, as well as, you know, the market wizard from the past uh, and, uh, First of all, you know, I'm really looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to dive deep into historical analysis and have you as kind of my guide. Uh, and, you know, here's a quick overview of what 
we'll be covering uh, in July. Uh, do you want to kind of go through this and, and discuss, you know, what you're most looking forward to and, you know, the key things that we'll be, we'll be teaching? Yeah, so Richard and I, the Trader Line group has been so phenomenal. We've been working on this for quite a while. Um, I think it can really help a lot of people. And that's really, I want to carry my little torch of O'Neill for the research side. And I think this is the best way I can kind of help. So if you go back to the first slide, um, we're tagging the motto of this is study the past so you can profit in the future. <laughs> Sorry. Um, that's what the best traders do. They studied the past. They understood it from the traders, from the market cycles, and from the stocks, and it helped them in the future. And that's the motto of this. And if you want to go back to the course outline, we're going to do 10 webinars. So it's, it's extensive. It's an extensive course. But I hope people, if you're interested to take it, you get a lot out of it. We're going to do um, legendary traders. We're going to do, I'm going to do profiles of some of the best traders over time. A lot of the, the names I mentioned, um, look at some of their, their successes, look at some of their failures and how they learn from them, quotes from them, uh, backgrounds on them, some of, the, some of the big monster stocks that they made their great returns on. And then we're gonna get into some modern legendary traders and the commonalities of all the modern legendary traders and the, the great traders of the past. And then we're gonna look at monster stock templates. <coughs> Sorry. Um, some of the key basing patterns that all look similar over timeframes. We're gonna look at new highs and new lows and we're gonna go back to 1942 from the beginning of that. I'm gonna show you how they line up and how they um, how excessive numbers can lead to topping markets and how excessive numbers on the low side can lead to bottoming markets. And then we're gonna do some webinars. Um, we're gonna do the historic cycles and monster stocks of all these timeframes. So we're gonna go through every single major one. Um, so in the 1900s and 1940s, there were 10 uptrends, eight downtrends, and we're gonna look at deep, in detail 11 monster stocks in detail of that, those timeframes. And then the next uh, one will be the 50s and the 70s and the uptrends, downtrends and monster stocks from there. And then the 80s and 90s, same thing, uptrends, downtrends, more monster stocks to look at. Um, then the 2000s, 2010s, and we're gonna do 2020 to the present. And then <clears throat> the last webinar, we're gonna put it all together. We're gonna look at current conditions, lessons learned from the best traders, the best market cycles and how to identify those. And then we're gonna summarize the whole thing. And this has been a lot of work. I think it's um, interesting and trust me, I've been studying this, there's nothing out there like this. I hope um, people find um, a lot of uh, content to it. It's exhaustive <laughs> and inclusive of a, of a ton of information, but you can now have the whole history of the market in one uh, document. So there's a, there's a 230 page PDF document textbook, I call it, that lays all this out. Um, there's other um, extras to the course. We're gonna, we're gonna buy for anybody who wants to sign up for the course, we're gonna buy them an e-Kindle book of how to make money in stocks by O'Neill. Give our nod to O'Neill for that. And we're gonna also buy them the e-book uh, for Monster Stock Lessons, which I did last year. 
And the reason we're doing those is because on the eBooks in the digital format, the charts look really great. So you're gonna get the 100 historic charts and there's a bunch of those we're gonna go through in the course and study those in detail, in depth. Um, so you get a feel for how they look. All the questions that, you know, all a lot of stuff I just brought up today already. So, um, so you get two ebook with this um, as other references. And then very exciting, I'm pleased to say, we're gonna have several um, special guest appearances throughout the webinars. I think that's gonna add a lot of entertainment to it. And you get to hear from some great uh, successful people. So there's a lot packed in here um, and I'm pleased to do it. I feel grateful to do it and partner with Trader Lion. They've done some great master classes in the past. And um, this is gonna go through everything. And like I said, trust me, there's nothing out there like compiling it all into one, so. Yeah, I, I think this is gonna be a tremendous resource and I've learned a ton and we've learned a ton already just kind of building it. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it and, and also the special guests, I think that'll be really fun. Um, and yeah, I, I think this will be fantastic. And we're also happy to announce that uh, in June 24th, we'll be kind of giving a, a teaser here and doing a free webinar that kind of represents the class um, focusing on William O'Neill uh, and a few other legendary traders going through an overview of that. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to this. There should be a link popping up in the chat right now uh, where you can go ahead and sign up for this free webinar. Uh, I see it popping up just now. Um, go ahead and click that, uh, enter your email, and you'll be automatically signed up for this free webinar. It's going to be a fantastic resource. Uh, we're going to have a challenge as a part of it as well uh, that you don't want to miss. Um, so definitely check out this. And, and John, I, I think uh, it might be worth kind of touching on uh, the kind of class mantra that, that you've kind of developed. Uh, study the past so you can profit in the future. Do you want to touch on that? And, you know, uh, I know O'Neill inspired you a little bit for that as well. So, uh, yeah, would you kind of discuss how you came up with that? Yeah. I mean, he was the huge inspiration for this. He did it. That's how he became so successful. Throughout the course, we do these profiles of these legendary traders. We're going to show some stocks that they landed during that time. How did they move in and out of all those market cycles? How did they take advantage of the uptrends? And how did they study the history before them to help them in their current time, whatever time frame it was? And so this starts, the course starts in 1888, it goes through today. So there's 125 years of history in it. And every single day the market was open during that time, one of those traders was active. So we don't miss anything. You're talking about every single one. I wanna add this too. So um, in the course, there's gonna be some rare um, IBD and O'Neill um, charts that they were, um, I am so grateful they landed permission to show these. They're not, a lot of them were not, um, they're not available to the public. They were from some of the master classes that you had to take with O'Neill. So, so those are included as well. So it should be, um, and I hope it, you know, I hope whoever takes it gets a lot out of it. I want to really help others understand all this. Um, it's helped me and um, I think it can help a lot of people. Like I said, the difference between the, the, the best traders did that. And that's what I want to try to try to give back. So. Yeah. And is there anything you want to touch on specifically with this kind of free webinar that you're really excited to, to share with everybody? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The free webinar will be in two weeks and 
Um, in addition to the 230-page PDF uh, textbook you get, I think you're getting, what, 450 slides? <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's in the master class. That's in the master class, not, not the yeah. Program, but, uh, yeah, yeah. It's in the master class, but we're going to show you examples in the, in the free webinar, the promo, um, what you're going to get. So we're going to show different pieces of that in the free webinar. We're going to show you some of those great traders and like we'll show you a background on one of them and some great quotes on another one and some strategies from another one. And we'll show you some uh, charts from some of these traders. Uh, the course is filled with all kinds of different looking charts. There's old charts from the thirties and, you know, they look old cause they are old and um, we're not trying to hide that. And so we're going to show you a variety of what's in the course during the free webinar. So you can get a feel for, the pieces that are going to comprise the whole course and hopefully you can you know look at that and, and make a decision if you want to take it or not, so yeah well i'm looking forward to going back to school john and i, I think you're the perfect <laughs> you're the perfect uh market historian to, to take us through so uh john this has been really great um but my last question is kind of uh do you have any kind of general advice for for traders watching this uh you know to to kill this next cycle uh, and maybe you know taking a historical perspective anything that uh, people should tune in on or pick up and focus on, uh, you know, going forward as as this bull market potentially uh, develops. Yeah, I mean, I would, you know, look at some of those past cycles I talked about and just stay attuned to what's happening. Watch the Fed next week. There's a lot of eyes on that. See how the market reacts to that. If the market takes off off of that or whatever, or if the Fed does the right thing, um, this thing will probably have some legs. And then, you know, make sure you're looking at what the leaders are going to do. Also, this course that uh, Trader Lion does, this whole conference, it's just incredible, the amount of people and what everybody lends to it. I'm sure you're going to hear the rest of today and tomorrow, you know, a lot of great um, strategies or what to look for. And there, I'm sure a lot of these next uh, speakers are going to talk about what to look for in the current time. And so I would leave that to those experts. Um, mine is make sure you understand this looks a lot like several, I mean, several from the past, if it continues to keep going in this direction. And those were the greatest opportunities. So um, just pay attention and be, be willing to, to get in there and, and tag along on the leaders. Perfect. And uh, just one more note, because I saw a question in the chat. Uh, this free webinar will 100% be recorded uh, and we'll be sending out that recording to anybody who enters their email using the link that's in the chat right now. It's also in the description. Uh, so if you can't make it live, don't worry, uh, but definitely go ahead and sign up so we can get you that uh, that recording. So uh, with that, John, thanks again for taking the time. I, I really appreciate it. I'm really looking forward to the free webinar as well as the entire masterclass. Uh, like I said, I've already learned so much and a lot of the TL team has really enjoyed the process of building the slides and helping you with the document and, and the prep work. So uh, I think it'll be really valuable for people who take it uh, to get that historical perspective and add that to fundamental analysis, technical and uh, psychological analysis. So uh, thank you so much uh, for everybody who enjoyed this. Please go ahead right now to leave a like down below on the stream. That helps let YouTube know that this is valuable and just will help expose this to more traders uh, who can benefit. So uh, John, any last words that you'd like to leave everybody with? Well, thank you, Richard. Um, you guys, Trader Lion, I really have said this before. I think you're the future of stock market education and 
so innovative with DeepView now and all the things you guys do with your model books and these master classes. Very impressed with you guys. And who's ever out there, you need to follow these guys. And um, they're all young, sharp minds, and they're learning from history too. So it's just, it's been a pleasure working with you guys. We're not there yet, but we're almost near the finish line. And yep. it's just been a pleasure with, with everybody there. So uh, enjoy the rest of the conference for everybody else. And thanks for tuning in. Yeah, and that actually reminds me of uh, one more thing that I mentioned. Definitely follow John on Twitter because he provides the best. You're my favorite feed to follow, John, pretty much. You do amazing okay. quotes and charts. Uh, what is your um, username so people can find you? Um, it's at MonsterStocks1. Is that right? Yes, at MonsterStocks1. Awesome. I came in late to Twitter. I've only been out there a few years. But MonsterStocks was already taken. So I, had to, I was like, what am I going to do? Even my name was taken. So I had to, I just put a one on the end. So. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you share you share some of the documents and research that you've done from, you know, going back to the 1900s. So it's really fantastic. Uh, so, John, thanks again uh, for, for being a part of this. I always love chatting with you uh, and I, I'm sure everybody did as well. Um, and we'll be right back with Leif Serede uh, starting at around 1030 Eastern. So stay tuned for that. Um, and with that, yeah, take a quick break and uh, we'll be right back. Take care. Thank you.